All right, well, hey, good morning. Uh, I really can't think of a... I'm not, I'm not bummed out about what just happened. I look at these stories and these, these opportunities that people are able to share with just such joy because really the gospel has been preached many times this morning already. If you're, if you're missing it, here's the, here's, the, here's the key. Jesus Christ is alive today, right? And I can't think of a better place to go in our Bibles uh, after Resurrection Sunday last week than where we're heading uh, this week. If you're new to Crossroads, if you're just visiting, uh, that's just a flavor of what's going to be happening. Hopefully in your life and in the years to come, you're going to see Jesus come in and really start moving you in areas that you never even thought were possible. And so today, um, we're going to see how the life of Jesus has been worked out in one of his friends. We've got this young man uh, named John who is writing a letter. He is uh, one of the 12 disciples. He is the self-proclaimed beloved of Jesus. He's an evangelist. He's a pastor. And if anyone is qualified to talk about what life in Christ, the resurrected Christ, should look like, what it should be, what the, what the power is that we of Christians have, if anyone's qualified to talk about it, it's this guy. And so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, open up your Bibles to 1 John. It's near the back of your, your Bible if you're not familiar with where it's at. 1 John is going to be a book that I think that a lot of us are going to be coming back to over the next few weeks, over the next few years. And if you haven't read it, if you're not familiar with it, get ready. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Uh, We'll have some people passing out Bibles at some point, I'm sure. So we're just going to get into it. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, Rod has said it before, but you sit for our words, you stand for God's words. There's a sense of anticipation. You've all been to maybe a football game when you see a running back go around the corner. There's not anyone sitting. Everyone stands to their feet because they know something awesome is going to happen. Here's God's word. Let's read it together. Verse 1, John 1, or 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So I got to tell you, uh, 1 John is one of my absolute favorite books in the Bible. And 
you know, we just read a small portion of it and every verse packs this power that I'm sure you can feel. But for me, uh, the reason that it's one of my favorites is because it was while reading 1 John that my heart actually began to come alive to the word of God. I actually began to hunger and thirst for God's word while reading uh, 1 John. A few years ago, you've heard his name already this morning, but uh, before Crossroads was ever two campuses, our executive pastor, Randy Heckman, used to get to preach every once in a while. And I loved it when Randy would get up here to preach because Randy's a guy who loves God's word. And it's not just something that he can tell you about, it's something that you can see in his body, that when he, when he reads the words, it, it's impacting him. And so as he was up here preaching uh, in Ephesians, he ended with, a challenge to the church. He said, go home, pick up the Bible every day and read the entire book of Ephesians every day for a month. And because, like I said, he, he was contagious, I went home and I did that. I started reading Ephesians every day for a month. And after a month, I, I looked for another book that was a similar length and I found First John. So I started reading First John every day. And there's something unique about reading the same book of the Bible every day for a month because the words never change. And when you read a book like 1 John and you struggle with not knowing who you are in Christ and not being able to get around the corner in some things and you come across chapter 3 and it says, this is the type of love that our Father has lavished on us, that we should be called his children. And when you ask Holy Spirit to just push that into you, there's nothing like it. No matter what you did that day, those words at chapter 3, verse 1, they don't change. 1 John uh, became a catalyst for me, and I think that the man, St. John, would have really appreciated that because he's writing in order to stir faith in people. We got to remember that this is an actual letter written to actual people that a man named John had something to say and that there was a community of people around him that really needed to hear it. There was people in the community uh, around him that were distorting the truth of God. They were claiming that Jesus never really came in the flesh, that he was never really a man, that that he didn't need to come and die on the cross because sin was something that only affected our, our flesh. It didn't affect any other part of the person. These people were introducing things to the church that went completely against what Jesus taught, what Jesus modeled for us. And we don't live in much different times than that, do we? It wouldn't take me much to convince you that that those people still exist. The truth is that there's people still distorting God's word, people who call themselves Christians that still wonder if Jesus ever walked on the earth. And so... I guess this is a good place for us to be. If you're confused about who Jesus is, if you are wondering about the, the purpose of his life and how it should be affecting our lives, 1 John is a, is a good place to be. And John says, right to these people, he says, okay, look, you've been hearing a lot about this guy, Jesus. You've had questions about him. Let me shed a little light on it. After all, everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, I was a witness to. He said that Jesus chose me. I was minding my own business. I was fishing one day. And Jesus called from the shore to me and my brother. He said, come, follow me. I left my dad in the boat that day. I walked with Jesus. I saw him get baptized. And I watched the spirit of God descend upon his body. 
I was at the Sermon on the Mount, sitting right in front of him, listening, devouring the words that Jesus said. I saw him spit on the ground, make mud with his thumbs, and put it on a a man who had been born blind. And he healed this guy's sight. I saw him lift a man who had never walked to his feet. I saw Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah on a mountain one day. I was taken into the places that other disciples were left out of. I sat with him as he ate. I leaned against him the night he was betrayed. I was at the foot of the cross the morning that he died. I saw the empty tomb. I was was with the disciples when Jesus appeared to us. I touched his hands. I talked with him. I was there the day that his feet began to lift off the ground. They passed my eyes and I saw a cloud from heaven wrap around him. I saw him ascend. What John is saying in this beginning, that which our eyes have seen, what our hands have touched, what our ears have heard, he's saying, I'm trustworthy. I'm credible. And even today, we long for credibility. We long for trustworthiness, right? We look to theologians and and professors and scholars and scientists and pastors to tell us about who Jesus was. We wait for National Geographic to make a new movie or wait for Netflix to finally get the Bible series so we can watch it and learn about Jesus. All the while, we ignore the words of his best friends. We look for people who are trying to fill in the gaps about who Jesus was, working off just information that's been buried 2,000 years. John has something to say. And I think that you're with me today. My vote is that we listen to John, right? And look what it is that he brings up first. The reason that he gives his credentials, the reason that he's writing, is so that you and I might share in the best thing that John has going on in his life. See, John knows Jesus. John knows the Father. He has fellowship with the Father. It's a fellowship that started as a friendship, developed over time. John's the one that that saw Jesus who was born of a woman. He's the one that saw Jesus resurrected, and he's the one that saw Jesus ushering in the very kingdom of God in the last days. John knew the Father. And he says now that the reason that God has created the earth, the reason that Jesus came to die on the cross was to be with us, to have fellowship with us, to have communion with us. He's after his children. John's able to give away something that that he and the community around him are, are partaking in. They have fellowship with the Trinity. If you're a person that's into the original languages of the Bible, mainly Greek and Hebrew. Uh, this word for fellowship, it's a word that you're going to want to know. A lot of you probably already know it here at Crossroads. We've talked about it before, but this word is koinonia. And what it means is communion, association, partnership, fellowship. But really, none of those words by themselves um, capture what this, this word fellowship means, this word koinonia. Because when we talk about fellowship, oftentimes it's, it's cookies and punch in the fellowship hall after church is done, right? But what John here is doing is he's modeling this type of fellowship on, on a type that Jesus has laid out. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, Jesus prays. 
And he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that they may all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. John is calling the believers to that type of connection with the Father. He wants us to start living in the reality of who we are. The, the expectation is that we would be his children. And a lot of times we forget that. But have you ever looked at the New Testament and what it says about a believer? Oftentimes we walk around with our, our tail between our legs. When the New Testament says that we're born of God, that we're his children, that we've been adopted into his family, that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we're saved, that we've been redeemed, that we've been made alive, that we can know God. It says, who knows God but the Spirit of God? But we have his Spirit. We can know him. See, John is, he's calling us up to something. And it makes me think about how I view myself, and it makes me wonder how you view yourself this morning. Are you living as someone that the New Testament describes? Because the reason that the Word has become flesh, the reason that the Word, which was with the Father in the beginning, the Word of life became flesh, was to make a way for us to have this type of fellowship with the Father. And right now, you should be able to ask yourself, is that the reason for the redemption that Christ has done in you? Is your salvation just to save you from hell someday? Someday in the future, to save you from hell? Or is Christ doing a redemptive thing in you this morning? Is Christ saying, come in, join in with this fellowship? Do you have the type of fellowship that God has with Jesus, that they share with Holy Spirit? Are you taking advantage of the life that is offered you as a child of God today? Scripture calls it abundant life. Our text today calls it eternal life. Would you describe your life like that? See, John, he's a pastor and he's laboring for faith in the people that he's engaged with. This letter was written from a city called Ephesus, which was a major hub for trade and the worship of the god Artemis and with all the busyness, with all the temptation to run after false gods, John says that the thing that would really make his effort worth it, the thing that would make his joy complete, would be that we would experience the same fellowship that he's experiencing. And that's how you really know it's true, too, that, that John's just not writing some uh, pie-in-the-sky letter. Because it's the same thing with us. If you talk to me for longer than two minutes, you're going to find out the things that bring me joy. Namely, Lily and Rayma, my two girls, right? The things that bring us the most joy are the things that we can't help telling other people about. If you talk to me a little bit longer, you'll find out that I love to run through the woods, right? These are things that bring me joy. I want you guys to all experience it and come running with me because it's so much fun, right? That's what John is saying here. He says, the thing that would bring me the most joy, the fullness of joy type joy, is that you would know God. That you would walk with him. It's a point where I'm thankful for the New Testament writers because can you imagine just hearing about a joy like that? Can you imagine just hearing about a oneness with the Father and then being left to ourselves in order to figure out how to get it? That's what John's writing into. 
People that are just putting pieces together. But John was equipped by God to write a letter, not only that would have dramatic effect on his original recipients, but a letter that would jump ahead 2,000 years and be able to speak to us this morning. That letter's called First John. And it's going to be a great help to us if we apply ourselves to it because the letter is super practical, right? Throughout this letter, there are themes that are going to be presented and they're pretty simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. John says, obey God. Love one another. Keep your heart free from the things of the world. He says, obey God, because if you don't obey God, it's impossible to love him. Love is the the language that God speaks. It's his obedience to him. He says, love other people. You cannot love God and hate other people who are created in the image of God. He says, keep your heart free from the things of the world, because don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? You see, sometimes the most powerful thing you can do into what seems like extremely heady conversations is just drop something that's really simple into it. That's what John's doing all throughout this letter. And the thing that he says to us, the simple thing that he says to us today, God is light. Verse 5, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. What I like about that is it doesn't take much like for us to think, yeah, God is light. I mean, it's a universal truth that good is light and that darkness is bad. You don't have to convince children to be scared of the dark. They just are. No child is scared of the daylight, right? And this, this thought about God being light, it's not a new biblical theme. John's not making it up. All throughout the scripture, we see uh, God is a God of light. The first thing that's created in Genesis, before the moon and the stars and the sun were placed in the sky, God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's good. See, God is a burning bush. God is a pillar of fire. He dwells in unapproachable light. The new Jerusalem, it says there's going to be no need for a sun because the light of the face of Christ is going to shine onto everything. So fellowship with God means fellowship with light. When we come to God, we come to light. And the thing about light is that it reveals right? It reveals. The gospel of John opens by saying that the light of the world shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. You get a picture of like opening a door into a completely pitch black room, and the little light that might be behind you, it shines light into that whole room. It exposes everything. An easy question to ask right now would be this then. Has the light of Christ shone into your heart? Are you allowing the light of God to expose every dark thing in you? Or are there still areas of your life that you haven't submitted over to his light? Here's the thing that's kind of scary when we begin to answer that question. That God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to be in him, but we walk in darkness... We're lying to ourselves. 
What it means is that we cannot be in Christ. We cannot have union with the Father if there's darkness in us. And if you're here today saying that you can walk in a path of darkness but still be in Christ, you're a liar. And that's not me saying it. I can't say it any clearer than John is saying it. If we say we're in Christ but we walk in darkness, we lie. And I'm going to say something that might catch you off guard. But this morning, we have to be okay with sin. Now listen, I'm not saying that we have to be okay going about sinning. We don't have to be okay with living sinful lifestyles. What I'm saying is that we need to be able to talk about sin. The church has been one of the hardest places for all of history to talk about sin. We don't talk about it, and because of that, a lot of us don't know what to do with our sin. We sweep it under the rug. We, we hide it from each other. We put on Sunday's best and a smile, all the while knowing that there's things in our life that are really keeping us from the real communion that our hearts desire. Sin keeps us from fellowship. And let me tell you something. Satan loves it. And he wants sin to have a shameful place in the church. Because as long as sin is shameful, it's always going to be something that we keep a lid on. Do this with me. Everyone, close your eyes. Nothing's going to happen. Don't worry. Close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes. Now, everyone that has sinned, everyone that has missed the mark, everyone that has done something which they knew they weren't supposed to do, raise your hand. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your hands up. Everyone open your eyes. 2008 movie called Mean Girls. That's where they do that from, so check it out. (laughs) Scripture says, it's really clear, right? Scripture says that we've all sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has had the light of Christ blotted out at some point in their life. We need to remember that, that there's no human outside of Christ that is going to gain access to the Father because of their merit, because of their good works, because of the quality of life that they've lived. There's no one. And so rather than hide it, rather than skirt around the issue, rather than lie to ourselves and miss out on the fellowship with God, let's just be real about sin. John, he gives us freedom to do that. He says that the key to living in the light, the key to fellowship with God, is renouncing a life of sin. And he introduces uh, to us this picture of a walk. He says that there's two paths to walk. You get a choice. You either get a path of darkness or a path of light. The path of darkness, it's a selfish path. It's one in which your life revolves around you, your desires and your wants. You're at the center of the universe. And there's another path. There's a path of light. It's a selfless path. It's a path of obedience. A path of fellowship and union. And the language of of life as a path, it has to get familiar with us. We have to embrace it. A few years ago, I was praying and wrestling with some things that I knew were contrary to what God wanted for me in my life. And I couldn't understand why these things had such a grip on me. I didn't know what to do. It was then that God started to, to, to lead me here to First John to show me that life is a walk, that Christianity isn't a decision that you make one time in your life, 
Ask anyone that has a true relationship with Jesus, and they'll tell you that Christianity is a decision that we made today. That we may have made it 10 years ago, that we may have made it 40 years ago, but it's another decision every day that we have to make. We have to set our hearts on his path. In the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he says that there's two ways to live. You can either live according to what the flesh desires, or you can live according to what the spirit desires. He goes on to say that these two ways of life, they're opposed to each other. You cannot live trying to please your flesh and please God. You cannot live trying to please the spirit and still gratify the sinful nature. It's the same thing that John is saying here. It's black and white. And for me, I lived 20 years for myself. Even though I went to church every Sunday, every Friday, I gave my life to Christ when I was 16. I really didn't start trying to please him, aiming to please him until a few years into college. I wasn't, I wasn't walking with God. And the picture that God began to, gave me, or began to give me for this was a path. I mean, it, it's right in his word. He says that, Will, for 20 years you've been walking a path. And maybe you can picture that. Maybe you can picture a path and what a path would look like if you walked the same path for 20 years. There's no grass growing on it. There's no branches in the way. It's a well-worn path. And one day, after 20 years of walking on that path, the day that I finally said, okay, God, I'm sick of going my own way. I want to go your way. Again, using this picture, I get to the, the, the head of this trail, and there's Holy Spirit standing to the side. And he's pulling a branch back. And I look at, at where he's, he's pulling this branch back into, and it's nothing. It's just, it's just dense forest. And he says, follow me. And as I step in, he pulls another branch. He says, follow me. And at, at the day, at the end of the day, one step at a time, I look back and there's, there's no discernible path what I just walked. And there's hundreds of places where I thought I knew better than Holy Spirit and I step off. Next day, same thing. God, show me your ways. God, teach me your path. You get to the path and here's a, here's a well-worn one. One that you've walked, one that would be easy to walk. And here's Holy Spirit saying, follow me pulling a branch back. And you're finding joy in following him. You're finding, you're finding joy kind of roughing it through the woods a little bit. And after day after day, after a few weeks, you get to that, the, the trailhead again and you notice something that you've never noticed before. There's little sprouts of grass springing up in the path that you used to walk. The path that you've walked in for years and years and years is growing over. And as you begin to walk with Holy Spirit, you notice that he's not having to pull every branch out of the way. See, what's happening is the path of Christ is becoming clearer and clearer. And the path of your flesh in which you used to walk, it's growing over. This is the way that, that God has designed life with him to be. John even says he's writing so that we don't sin. He's writing so that we don't sin. He's hoping the longer that we walk with Christ, the more that we know his word, the more that we're able to hear his whispers, the more that we'll be able to be like him. 
It's the goal of Christ. The goal of Christianity isn't salvation someday. The goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness. Scripture says that while in the world, we are like Christ. We're moving towards him. But for most of us, we're not there. We're, We're still allowing our sins to cripple us, to take us out of the game, to crush us, to keep us in darkness. But John has encouragement for us today. He says, my dear children, don't you know what the death of Christ has accomplished? Don't you know that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can be overcomers? That there's no shame in the sin that is covered by the blood of Jesus. That there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Don't you know that because of his life and death, we're overcomers? He's given us everything we need to be able to walk in his path of light, to say no to our flesh, to say yes to his spirit. He's given us the power to break the one chain that the enemy has us on. Because while Satan wants to keep the sin shameful, hidden, Christ says, come to me and I'll shine it through with light. I'll let the light that is me shine into all the dark places of your life. He says, come to me. Confess your sins. Don't you know that there's there's not a sin that can't be paid for? Don't you know there's nothing that my blood cannot cover over? Children, come to me. I'm faithful. I'm just to forgive. Notice that he doesn't say, I'm gracious. I'm merciful. Notice that he doesn't just say, I'm compassionate. He is all those things. But our God is a just God. He says, I grant forgiveness because of the atoning work that's done on the cross. Not your merit. Nothing that you've done. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we have a place to go with our sin. To be cleansed of it. And I'm right there too. I need to hear that this morning. No matter where we're at, we have an opportunity today, maybe for the first time, to bow, to incline our hearts to moving God's way, to walking his path. See, God is a good father, and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. And it's promised in scripture that if we ask him, he will give us his Holy Spirit to be with us forever, to guide us, to lead us. He's going to give us the teacher, the counselor, the helper. He's going to give his very self to teach us how to walk his way. I think what we need to do this morning is just take a second and ask ourselves where we're at on this. Which path are we on? Am I allowing Christ to shine his light on every aspect of my life? Or are there hidden things that are keeping me from fellowship with God? See, while sin has always been something that you keep quiet, John gives us opportunity to run to the only one that can give us forgiveness. Just as we are in this very moment, he says that there is a way to experience true oneness with the Father that God himself has done everything for us to be able to enter in. If you're at a spot this morning that you know that you've been walking on the wrong path, that you've been missing out on this life-giving fellowship, that you've been allowing secret sins to keep you on the sidelines, this is a prayer that's really helped me. It's found in uh, Psalm 139, and it ends this way. Search me, God, Know my heart, test me, and know all my anxious thoughts. 
See if there's any offensive way in me. See if there's any way that's keeping me from you. And God, lead me in your way everlasting. It's a safe place for you to go this morning. I know that we're, we're running out of time here, but we need to respond. So as Greg and the band come up, would you guys just pray with me? I don't really have anything else, Jesus, except that you today would, would test us, that you'd search us, that you'd know our thoughts, that you'd know our ways, and that you would, that you would show us if there's anything offensive in us. That you would, Holy Spirit, in the most kind and gentle way, bring about us, in us, uh, the thing that would be keeping us from you. And then let your blood just cover it over, Jesus. See if there's any offensive way in us and, and come, lead us in your way everlasting. on Christ, sometimes it's just appropriate to just pause and um, take deeply into your heart the very things that God is speaking to us this morning. So let's do that.